Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. From drug dealer to comedian, his journey is a testament to resilience. Formerly incarcerated for selling drugs, Andrew now takes comedy stages with his show, Jokes About Time I Went to Prison. Andrew, welcome to The Sticker. Russell, hello. Thanks hey, for having me. It's been a long time coming. I'm lo- really loving what you're doing. And um, and I, I just love how you can, uh, comedians just have this thing, the most mundane things that happen, you can make make light of it and make a laugh of it. Tell me, where did it all start from you? Just let's, we'll have a brief view of where you grew up and, you know, yep. what your family like. Uh, I grew up in the North Shore of Sydney in Hornsby uh, up until about the age of 18. I uh, went to a private school in Sydney in, in Lane Cove and then I, I went robbed to- the bank there. It was the best I've ever earned. Was it bank- a Combank? I think Combank, you told me before. Yeah, yeah. got it, yeah. It was great. <laughs> Fond memories of Lane Cove. <laughs> Lovely space, yeah, <laughs> to grow up as well. I, I had a good time there and then I went to university in Bathurst, which is kind of like- Charles Sturt. Three hours west, yeah, CSU, Charles Sturt. I studied communications there and then I got into public relations and- uh, so for anyone who doesn't know that, a job is basically I was just helping companies to promote themselves mainly in, in traditional media, the newspaper, stuff like that, and um, also help them when they got into strife, I'd, I'd help them um, to kind of uh, manage their reputation when they got in trouble for, for various things. So I think that was certainly a skill that I've, I've used my whole life, <laughs> helping to spin things when I get myself in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> How good. So, yeah, and and the whole time I was uh, doing that job, I was kind of moonlighting as a as a drug dealer. Yeah. What were you doing? Was it the party scene? Were you in the party scene? Well, I mean, I yeah, I just started taking ecstasy basically as soon as I finished high school around 18 or 19 and um, then I, I was at uni and there's a lot of party drugs going on at, at university and I went to Thailand and I had magic mushrooms for the first time. And I had such an amazing time on mushrooms that I came back to Sydney and told my mate how good they were. And he started researching how to grow them. And then next thing you know, we were growing them just for friends and we we're taking them to parties. And we were sitting there at parties with like a handful of fat, wet mushrooms, mm. trying to figure out how to fuck to eat these things because they tasted foul mm. and they smelt bad. And so we were just sitting there with like a handful of fat, wet mushrooms and peanut butter and just trying to shove it mm. all down mouth. Because once it got down, it was great. But you'd have mm. a good time. And so I was like, there's got to be a better way to get these fucking things down. Yeah. So I was like, what if we dehydrate the mushrooms, get all the moisture out of it, and then blend it up into a powder and cap them. And so then we started growing and selling magic mushroom capsules, mainly just to friends and friends of friends. But then over the years that that kind of blew up because um, people, whenever they had mushrooms, um, 
they would have such a good time that they'd become advocates for it. They'd be like, oh, man, have you never tried mushrooms? You, could, you should try them. And so gradually, gradually, gradually this thing just blew up. They're starting to be used a lot in the healing space, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had a lot of people that would use it for that. It wasn't just for parties. People would buy mushrooms off me because they like to microdose. Mm. Um, they found that it helped them with their work or with uh, meditation or all, all kinds of stuff. There was uh, a lot of people that would come to get mushrooms off me for um, various things. Like one guy bought mushrooms off me because his grandmother liked to have a quarter of a mushroom cap when she did lawn bowls. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, one guy bought mushrooms off me because his mother was passing away and the whole family wanted to have a collective drug trip before she passed. Mm. Um, so they thought that was going to be quite special. So all these kind of things helped me in my head to be like, this is not a bad drug. So you're basically just justifying it. Mm. But I, I look, I just done something yesterday about alcohol and um, I think alcohol from a from a standpoint does more damage than mushrooms ever would. Absolutely, yeah. The domestic violence and the legalities, it's just the fact that it's legal. There's that terminology on which I'm not I'm a great fan of. Yep. They've got all those studies about which drugs um, create the most harm to self and to others, and alcohol's the number one by mm. a million miles, and mushrooms is like down the other end. Tell me what your daily routine was when you were in full swing. Oh, I mean, there were many years where I it, it was more of a side hustle. I wasn't making that big of money out of it. It just helped me to pay rent and, and go um, out to dinner and that kind of stuff. So I'd be working during the day, a day job, working in, in public relations. And then in the evening, I'd just have a couple of people come over to buy mushrooms. Yeah. And, um, you know, even then for, for many years, it would there would be a quiet period around winter so it was it was mm. people only really wanted to do them in summer when mm. they go out to camping camping and music festivals and that kind of stuff mm. and then i saw that there was a huge spike during vivid mm. at the vivid light festival in winter people oh, get it. <laughs> so be quiet around kind of may and June, then once it got to june there'd be there this spike for for winter for the vivid festival and then it would go back to being quiet again and then by about uh by about october as things started to warm up then mm. it would ramp up again. But, uh, yeah, then over the years that kind of uh, slowly expanded to me selling other drugs. So for many years it was just mushrooms. Then I expanded into MDMA and uh, ketamine, LSD and cocaine. And the cocaine was probably the one that fucked me the most because I could have mushrooms at my house and I didn't, like, need to have them every day. Mm. But when I had coke just sitting around um i i found that i just would just i'd be i was a user dealer mm. i was selling it and i was using it like by by the mountain so um the last few years became a mess i ended up um leaving my job in public relations and just going to full-time drug dealer mm. and there were days where there were many weeks where i would just go like five days straight just selling sitting up just snorting coke no sleep five days and i'd sleep for 48 hours and then get back to work yeah, it's not a good feeling waking up after a bender. No, and it wasn't a good feeling when you're on day five, no sleep. You know, yeah. there's a, the paranoia starts to yeah. kick in and you just, yeah, you're not in a good place mentally. Yeah, I've been there, I've been there man. Yeah. It's not a good feeling and it's overrated. Um, so 
Let's talk about, you know, did you did you feel like you were being coming to the attention of the police? Did you? No. 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 I thought I was absolutely not on their radar. I thought they were idiots. They're just standing around the fucking Redfern train station or central with a couple of sniffer dogs. Mm. And they got no clue. They're just trying to chase around any guys that look young and Middle Eastern in a, in a Mercedes. And mm. I'm driving around in a go get car share mm. um, as a white dude doing drug deals in Surrey Hills. And they've got no fucking idea. Mm. Um, and, and they didn't, mm. uh, reality is my, my fiance had a mental breakdown on cocaine and, uh, ran off with a bunch of my cash and, um, got picked up by the police and told them that I was a drug dealer. And that's, um, how I, I got on their radar. But before that I was totally invisible and I was, I was doing it for 15 years. So, yeah. you know, I think if it wasn't for that, I would have kept going. Mm. And, um, the only thing that would have stopped me is probably a heart attack from too much coke, not, not the yeah. cops. The old coke, isn't it? I, I just. It's just that that was one drug that just doesn't that wears me out quicker than anything. You know, mm. heroin I'd go for years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd well, most, I'd most probably wash your car and mow your lawn and fucking. <laughs> yes, luckily there was there was certain drugs like heroin and, and ice that I stayed away from because I was like, I've got enough problems with the drugs I'm already doing. <laughs> I don't want to make it worse. Don't want to add to that. Yeah. So. What, just tell me, did you did they have a task force on you or something like that? They put a task force on you? No, I don't think so. It was just uh, my house got raided by by the Raptor Squad. Um, Raptor, yeah. This is this is what this is what amuses me. Raptor was a squad that got brought in. Mm. Aim their aim was to target bikey. Yeah, it's no fun when they start targeting fucking everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I was just a fat mushroom dealer, no weapons in their house. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like overkill probably. Yeah, it would have felt like overkill. <laughs> and like <laughs> now that mushrooms and MDMA have been legalised in Australia for medicinal use, it's like even uh, it makes the fact that they uh, rated me even more silly. Yeah. You know? And what happened from there? So did they find any product? Yeah, so I I had like a, a second house where I would keep stuff, but I was so like fucked up on drugs sometimes that I just got lazy. Mm. And so I would have too much at my own house because mm. um, I couldn't be bothered going back and mm. forth. Mm. And so it was just one of those days where I had a bit too much on me. And so they raided and I had about half a kilo of mushrooms on me. I had about 300, 400 acid tabs. Uh, I think it was about half an ochre of ket and, and coke. And... Um, Oh, about an ounce and a half of MD and then about 15 grand in cash. Um, but the thing that fucked me the most was the mushrooms. That was large commercial. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was like easily like over large commercial thresholds is, is much less than than half a keg. And then and the, and the, what, what are the penalties for that like in time-wise? Well, the maximum penalty is life in prison, yeah. right? Um, sure. But luckily, uh, when I so I was in remand for four months in Parkley and Long Bay, and then I got bail. And um, when I got sentenced, there had been recently some cases. I think there'd been like eighty percent of cases on large commercials for mushrooms or acid had been given a, an ICO, an intensive corrections mm. order, instead of so prison the precedent time. was set, yeah. Um, but no one had been given an ICO for having large commercials of both. Yeah. And I had both. So it was like, this is a fucking long shot, mm. but we got it. Um, yeah. So um, the reason why we got, I got an ICO. Uh, an ICO is an abbreviated intensive correctional order, which you can 
Can you explain what happens when you're on an ICO? So I'm essentially doing a prison sentence in the community. So I have to stick to the rules that they set for me, the um, Department of Community Corrections. Uh, luckily, they considered me to be very low risk. So you might have to report in regularly or do drug testing, all this kind of stuff. I don't have to do any of that. I just have to get permission to leave New South Wales. Mm. Um, so luckily, they um, support the work I'm doing. So they, they always approve that. I have to go to the state parole board um, if I want to leave uh, leave Australia. Um, and then I was ordered to do 200 hours community service, which I completed pretty quickly. But yeah, they can kind of set the rules based on on what um, your risk profile. So tell me the process. You get arrested. What happens from there? So um, they raided my house. I got um, taken to Surrey Hills Police Station. So, also known as Surrey Hills. Yeah. <laughs> it's a grim place. It is. Down in the dungeons there with no natural light, mm. no pillows. It was actually funny. When I got arrested, I was like groaning to the, one of the cops. I'm like, fuck, you guys have got no pillows, no cells. And the guy obviously had never been down there. He's like, what are you talking about? There's pillows. And I'm like, no, no there's not. Mm. So I just had, had to like roll up my jumper and make mm. a, a makeshift pillow on those like shitty mattresses when you're sharing it. One of those cells. People come over to my house. And wonder why I've got pillows in every cupboard. <laughs> I'll never go without a pillow again. I've got you like need it, right? ten pillows in every cupboard. I go, what's with the fucking pillows? <laughs> I get it, Russ. You've <laughs> had some rough sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you go, you go to. But tell me this: Did you have a, a criminal history before that? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd got into a fight when I was like, like. 20, so like, was that like 16 years ago, but nothing drug related. All right. So what was the reason? So you went to court and your bail refused, yeah? Your bail refused because I was on two indictables, two, two large commercial drug supply mm. charges. And so I got refused bail. And um, that was a shock because, I mean, in my head, I was so naive. I thought oh, I'll get bail and I'll be back dealing the next day. Mm. In my head, I was already thinking about how I was going to be making moves as soon as I got out. Mm. But then when I got refused bail, I was like, fuck, this is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's happening old, now? Your gut sets in. I was like, oh, man, I, never, I couldn't get bail on whistling in the pictures. Mm. I just, it was just one of those things. I just never got it. My expectation was I'm not getting bail. Mm. But um, so, man, the uh, the prison van pulls up at Surrey Hills. Chucked, That's in, the, chucked in the truck and – yeah, met another bloke who was heading to Parkley for the first time. So we um, we kind of chatted and got along pretty well. And he ended up being my celly in a few different wings. And uh, yeah, just arrived at, at Parkley. And that's when kind of the gravity of the situation starts to, to sink in when you got to change out of your clothes into green clothes and old strip search. get strip searched and yeah you just you just feel like a you some, of blokes, some of them blokes like you know what it freaks me out when they're strip searching and one of them's licking their lips <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Mate, you seem to enjoy this a bit too much i reckon it's the only way they get their kicks yeah. I, I was like yeah so then they make you like flick your ears in case you what you got a machete behind your ear yeah. and then they make you lift your ball sack and squat and cough and all kinds of shit and you just you feel like you're a meat popsicle and then uh and then that's it i because i was in there in 2021 during covid i had to go into quarantine for the first two weeks and that was the worst part of the entire prison experience was being locked up for 20 the first three days um we weren't even allowed out of the cell and then the next um uh, 11 days was um, I had like no TV, no books. So I was just stuck in myself for 23 and a half hours a day with like nothing to read or do. So you're just mm -hmm. stuck in your own head. And when you first get pinched, that's not the place you want to be. I, no. didn't, want to, I, I didn't want to be in my own head because it was a fucked place. It was yeah. pretty dark. Man, I remember done, when I was in jail in Darwin, Redneck Wonderland. 
Um, <laughs> fuck, they put me in fucking, they put me in this black hole for nine months straight. And fuck, you talk about getting in your head, it's like, eh. Yeah. Not a good place to be, man. No, fucking I, just place to, torture I, wanted, I just wanted any escape, any yeah. distraction would do. And when, when you were sort of, were you taking notes all your way through about some of the funny things that you're seeing? Because yeah. there's some quite funny things you see in prison there. Yeah, as soon as I got a pencil and paper, I started just to write anything just so that I would just get out of my my bad thoughts. Mm. So that's when I started writing my prison meal reviews. I started scoring my lunches and dinners mm. out of 10 okay. uh, on like an adjusted prison scale Ooh. just just for something to do because yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was funny yeah, yeah. to be able like, like being like a food critic of yeah, prison yeah. food. I thought that in my head that was funny. And then I just started like just – writing about all the insane and funny things that had happened. Like when I got raided by the Raptor squad, one of the guys that like tackled me to the ground, he like, he was like right over my ear. He goes, stay down, you fat cunt. You got a tiny cock. And mm. I was like. <laughs> so have you by the smell of it. <laughs> and I was like, I had pants on. So I was like, how did he know? Yeah, you know? yeah fucking. <laughs> like it's true, but he, yeah, how does he know? Off so. Nostradamus. <laughs> so all no, this I kind of stuff. I think that's projection. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I think these guys have so much Red Bulls before they raid a house, I reckon. They just like. They're a different just, breed, aren't they? You know, just, yeah, I've got one over on you, you know. So. There would be like, I look at a lot of them guys and they want to be bike. They seem, I, I walked past them there at, at Walsh Bay the other day. There's that fucking TikTok prick. Do they really? There's <laughs> that TikTok prick. And they really dark, dim their voice, don't they? Yeah. They want to sound like fucking did set fucking. Everybody is, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> They're a different breed. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, if well, I've ever met a, com- a squad that want to be criminals, it's the Raptor squad. Yeah. They're just failed criminals. Mm. <laughs> Shout out to the Raptor squad. <laughs> <laughs> I've so, got lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all these kind of things. Uh, I was just so insane that I just started writing jokes about it. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, this is th- as fucked up as this situation is. There's some funny bits to it. Too. Yeah, yeah. So many. Tell me, tell me what. Tell me what was. Tell me some of the funny things you started seeing. Oh man, I could. I done twenty three years. I, I've seen. I've seen chili chili wars where blokes were getting their underpants rubbed with chili, and it was causing <laughs> a lot of discomfort. <laughs> I remember just being like in the yard at Park Le- Oh, we went. We went to the Oval, and like the music's pumping, and it was like uh, the Spice Girls was playing okay. over the radio, and just like seeing a bunch of like Hard and Crimson bikies all break into song, doing yeah. like "Stop Right Now, Thank You Very Much," and then the song would end, and everyone would go back to being <laughs> tough guys again. <laughs> you know, and so you you see those kind of things, and you're like, oh, these guys are just like me. They're just these are just like big kids. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's looking for a, an escapism, whether it be from music. And I think, you know, the comedy, would it be fair to say is a bit of an escapism for you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I When I got out, I was just so kind of confused and lost and angry and I needed an outlet. And so for me, comedy was an outlet just to try and vent. People think that you get into comedy because you've, you, you want to be funny. I, I got into it because I was – I wanted to get my anger out through laughing in the face of it, I guess. So I started doing jokes about just my dumb life of getting arrested and being a drug dealer and going to prison because I thought if I can take the piss out of myself and and then that that takes the venom out of it. Self-deprecating is a good way to start, isn't it? Mm. That's a really good way to start. I get it. And often, being the class clown, is often that's someone that's over often traumatised, you know, mm. face some trauma. Let's talk about Parkley as a prison. Parkley's a privatised prison and it's you get fuck all there. Mm. It's like a Panadol. Let's talk about the process of getting a Panadol. 
Well, I didn't get one. I, I had a I had <laughs> You're a still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told it's in the mail, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a cold, right? Uh, when I was at Parkley in five C I had a cold and I had this throbbing headache and I went up to the office just to ask for a panadol and they're like, No. And I was like, Look, I've I need a fucking panadol, I've got this throbbing headache, I've got a cold. And I'm like, Oh, you got a cold? And then they locked <laughs> me in my celly away pending a COVID test. He was fucking so pissed at me. He was like, I told you not to ask for a panadol. Don't don't tell them anything. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just really thought that they would give me one. I mm. made a mistake because like, my first time in jail, I thought these guys would treat you like a human being. Uh, and then I thought at least when they Have locked f- us away for three days pending a COVID test, they had the nurses come to swab me. I was like, at least now they'll give me a panadol. Still no. I've got to put an application in. <laughs> got to put in a like- form. They kept saying we don't have Panadol. And then after three days when we came back COVID negative, um, that was when we got out. And then one of the um, one of the other inmates gave me a Panadol. I was mm. like, next time you've got a problem, come ask the boys. Don't ask yeah. Don't ask Someone. the screws. Don't ask the clinic. Not, no one here will help you. Yeah. And so that's when I noticed because I was like, look, if they're, if they're creating a culture where if you've got a medical problem, that you would rather ask the inmates rather than than the, the guards, then you're going to have people, someone have COVID and they're going to not speak up and then there's going to be a huge outbreak. And yeah. so I wrote a letter to the governor, Paul Baker, to point mm. that out and then uh, about a week later I got sent to another prison <laughs> and mm. then two weeks after that, Parkley Prison had the biggest COVID outbreak in any prison in the country. Yeah. So, I, you know, I fucking told you so, fuckhead. Yeah. It's... Park Lee's renowned for just you get fuck all. I found normal private prisons normally you get a little bit more, but that one there is just I don't know. It's, you're right. They create a culture of don't don't ask, don't get. I only have a data set of two prisons. I have from Park Lee private prison and Long Bay public, and uh, the difference was like night and day. Mm. Um, I I've, I had such a different experience. Where'd you go? Twelve, thirteen wing, or did you go seven, eight, nine, and ten? Uh, I was at the top of twelve. Uh, top of twelve wing. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And so I just found the experience just totally different, and just in terms of you could tell there was a different culture among the people working there. Mm. They treated you. Uh, there was there was still a huge distinction between the inmates and the guards, but at least they treated like a human being mm. at, at Long Bay. I didn't see that at, at Parkley. It was it was it was grim. It could just it felt like they've just I don't know what's going on with their culture. They've got these fucking um, signs on the walls saying Bionic, which stands for Believe It or Not, I Care. And I'm like, mm. what a fucking load of horseshit that is. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and they're not making good money. They're making good money, and 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 that's the one place. Like I, I'll. I'll like I've been to a couple of private prisons and they'll run pretty good, but at Park Lee's definitely not. Stuck out in the yard all day, you know. Mate, uh, let's talk about the process. So you get Supreme Court pale, did you? Is that what it was? No, I got um, – we, we were able to go back to um, back to court just um, at local for, for bail because I had a change of circumstances. Two things happened. I got a different lawyer. <laughs> oh, how open for a bit? Was it the, the initial one was legal aid or duty? No, lawyer? no, he, he was um, my usual lawyer, but he got sick and had to had to pull out of the case. Yeah. So we, my my sister's a lawyer in New York, and she um, kind of made some calls and found found a, a good lawyer for me in Sydney. And then 
what happened was the mushrooms um, in the lab, they reckoned that they got they, they were contaminated or something. So for a while they got taken off my charges. And mm. so that was a huge, that was my biggest charge. And so with that gone. Um, contaminated. Yeah, so I don't know what happened. They said that they were like contaminated. Someone, someone ate them. <laughs> Who knows? From but, the evidence room. Well, <laughs> <laughs> someone just got the munchies, <laughs> made their way into the evidence room. And just, there goes half a kilo. We're going to wait for him to stop tripping out before we can tell. <laughs> so anyway, with that taken off the charges, um, it looked very different. So we went for bail then and we got it. And then not long after I got bailed, that they, I don't know what happened. They were like, actually, they're back on. The, okay, the we found them. Yeah. Almost <laughs> we found them. He's recovered. <laughs> He's recovered from his trip, and they're definitely psychedelic. So. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll contend. And the expert witness comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Can confirm great gear. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that was pretty funny when I was locked up in Park Lee. Uh, people were like laughing at me. They're like, <laughs> old mushroom King Hamilton isn't even selling real mushrooms. <laughs> it tests the negative. <laughs> so you go to magistrate's court. Did you actually do a peer or do you video link? Just on on video link, and I borrowed like a <laughs> I borrowed like a big book from my cell when hmm. I was on video link, and put my glasses on. I had this big book just to try. Oh, and the old glasses trying to look smart. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to look like an intellectual with a big book and glasses. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> if this is going to help, but we'll give it a try. That's an old school trick, you know. <laughs> Mate, man, there was a pair of glasses at Long Bay when I was there. I reckon they went to about 80 court cases. <laughs> like, it's such a dumb thing, but yeah. in your head, you're like, oh, this might. <laughs> make me look smart. You know? <laughs> make me look stiff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, make, me, make me look like a law abiding citizen. This man's an intellectual. Let the man go. <laughs> <laughs> So what happened? You- so I got out and I was on the house arrest. I wasn't allowed to leave the house unless I was in the company of my parents. I was at my parents' place. That's where I met you at Bad, isn't it? Yes, yeah, at the yeah. Bad Riders Festival. Yeah, That's yeah. right. I was there with my mum because yeah. I wasn't allowed out of the house yeah. unless I was in the company of my parents. And uh, then- That's pretty harsh considering you never had an extensive criminal history. Mm. Like they're, they're, I, I must say they're pretty harsh condition. I've got a friend of mine's out on three kilos of coke at the moment. Mm. I'm just- it's all good. Ankle bracelet? The ankle bracelet. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have an ankle bracelet, but I yeah, I wasn't allowed out of the house unless I was in the company of my parents. And uh, so when I first decided to go to a stand-up comedy night, the first one I had to bring my mum along, mm. um, which mm-hmm. <laughs> it just added pressure that you don't really need. Yeah. Uh, and then I also had to – it was one of these, these, these open mic comedy nights – they're called um, like bucket pulls. So mm. you, everyone rocks up and you put your name in a bucket and then they get drawn out mm. for when it's your turn. And sometimes you can have like 30 comedians there all doing five minutes. Mm. So the show goes for like hours. Mm. And I had a curfew as well. So I had to be like, hey, guys, like I know. So you put uh, a bit of honey on my name so you can pull it out easier? <laughs> well, they, they pull it out and they do it like in an order so they, you know when you're going to be. But it may, you might see it and be like, fuck, I'm on in three hours. And mm. so I had to be like, hey, guys, no one here knows me. It's my first time, but can I go on early because because I have to get home for my curfew. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Mm. And uh, luckily they, they they said yes and I, I did it. And um, then guys became more supportive of mm. me, me doing comedy and, and allowing me to go on early so I could I'd get home for my curfews. But um, that was my life for the first few months. Did you get did you, did you get your bail adjusted? Got my bail adjusted so I was allowed to leave the house without uh, on my own. But I had that they moved the curfew earlier, so I had to be home by by ten, I think it was. Yeah, by ten. So I I still had to go out to these comedy. I started going to like stand uh, stand up comedy open mics like five nights a week, hmm. 
and and every time the guys would put me on in the first half so I could mm. do that and race home. Mm. And the cops, particularly when I was getting close to sentencing, they would be there at like 10.01 mm. just to check. Well, they'll, che they'll actually check. Because mm. normally when you got a curfew, they don't give a fuck. They, they were checking like every yeah. second, third day. Wow. Um, yeah. Just they took you pretty seriously and not mm. refusing bail. Like that's, that's you, you obviously you're pissing them off. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I guess they must have thought I was a smart ass, which I am, I guess. Yeah, why not? <laughs> they knew what was coming. Yeah. They knew you were going to take the piss out of them sooner or later mm. and see the funny side of it. And that's, you know. Tell me, so you go to court, you would have been in the district or supreme? District. Yeah. Yeah, district court. And so I was doing stand-up from January 2022 uh, and then – I got sentenced in July 2022, so it had been a few months of me doing stand-up. I had done this big stand-up comedy competition in Sydney called Raw where I got to the state final, which was pretty cool. And then I got sentenced in July and we had to – I was pleading guilty and so we had to prepare all this kind of argument about the fact that I was rehabilitating myself and it wouldn't do um, a lot of good to send me back now. Mm. So we argued that I spent four months in prison in Maxo uh, during COVID. Past conditions. Um, which during, and then I was under, then I was under house arrest under kind of quasi custody. Then there was the fact that um, I had been doing all these clean piss tests and doing drug counseling and I was doing, and the, the judge actually really liked that I was doing stand-up comedy. He thought that was one mm. he hadn't heard before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, this is a new one. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been a few jokes in him too. There often is, mate. The judiciary, there's some fucking weirdos in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he liked that one. Uh, oh, I remember. Fuck, it was funny when I had to go through all these text messages that the cops had got off my phone in in court. And the judge would ask me about them. And he was like, um, you know, Mr. Hamilton, what did it mean when you said, let's get on the ag base? <laughs> and I had to be like, oh, that was me talking about getting on the bags, Your Honor. <laughs> which, which type of bags? Uh, like bags? Were they a ball bag? Or? <laughs> <laughs> and, then I did, and then it was like, um, what did you mean when you said, can you bring me the bat phone? And I had to be like, that was the phone I used to sell drugs. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I had to go through all that and uh, he also, uh, yeah, liked that I was working a job. I was working, I, I, luckily I, I was, I had some good mates who got me a job um, pretty much as soon as I got out. Back and, in the PR field or? Yeah, in, in marketing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I was working a kind of a white collar job in marketing. Um, even when I was under house arrest, I was able to do it at my parents' place, which is pretty um, sweet. I know there's a lot of guys that don't have that kind of um Opportunity, so yeah, I know how privileged I was to have friends and family that stuck by me and supported me. Uh, there's a lot of guys that go to jail that don't have that kind of stuff, mm. but um, yeah, so all this stuff packaged up uh, was enough. Uh, oh, and also, we try to lightly make the point about the fact that the the drugs really, um, like psychedelics, are not the ones that are destroying society. Mm, actually, they were healing them now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a fine line. Um, there was a fine line between um, saying these aren't the destructive ones and trying to be like, hey, um, he's actually doing a good thing. <laughs> it's actually healing society. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the judge thought that with all that, there wasn't any huge benefit in, in sending me be back. Um, so then I got, yeah, sentenced in July to a half, two and a half year ICO. That's a pretty long ICO. Normally they hand them out 12, 18 months. But, I mean, 
Good result. Great result. How would you feel after it? Well, I was wearing like three pairs of underwear and three pairs of socks in court. Yeah, you always got to take the good undies with you. I, yeah, I thought, I thought that uh, I was going back and mm. I was at peace with it because now that I'd already done four months and, I'd, and I had been fine um, and I knew when I got sentenced that I'd be going to minimum mm. anyway, um, it didn't scare me in the w same way it would have if I'd never been to jail. Yeah. Like if I was, if I'd never been and then was getting sentenced to go, I mm. would have been far more worried about it than the fact that like it had already, the, the, the myth in my head had been dispelled by yeah. my real life experience. What was the plans to go full time? Comedy? comedy? Yeah. No, I was, I mean, that was the dream, but at that point I was just still working the day job and, and doing comedy and trying to build up um, my material so I could just do longer and longer and longer. And so I continued to do that um, through the rest of 2022. And then I signed up to do the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which mm. I did in April last year, so April 2023. And for that you do a, a, I did a solo show. Mm. So that was the show that you mentioned, Jokes About the Time I Went to Prison. Mm. And that was an hour show. And so Fuck. it's a long time to talk oh, and it's a long time to try and be funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? I've done 23 years. I'd, I'd struggle for that. <laughs> I think you've got it in your ass. Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of the stories. I've got to calculate them. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Just time them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I went there to Melbourne Comedy Festival, having never done a, an hour show before. I signed up to do 16 shows over the course of the festival in a small cocktail bar that I um, got booked to do at like 10.40 at night because the festival rejected me for one of the festival rooms, but mm. you can get other rooms. And so I, I got this small room at late at night and I just hoped people would come. And um, like there were some pretty grim nights, particularly early on. I did the show on my second night to four people mm. and they were all on like free tickets. So, mm. and it was costing me like 200 bucks to book the room. Mm. So <laughs> okay. it's like tough to, you know, uh, when you do that, you're like, oh, fuck, this is going to be a, a grind. But luckily, I think between – because I had the latest show on in the entire festival on like Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays, mm. um, people by, by like an hour, people would scroll through all the shows on and be like, oh, do you want to see some fuckwit talk about prison? And mm. uh, people were like, yeah, actually, I'm pretty boozed up. That sounds like yeah. fun. Yeah. So people started coming and then um, – comedy critics started coming in and festival judges and next thing you know I got some great reviews and I got nominated for best newcomer at the festival mm. and that uh, that pretty much changed everything because off the back of that I got some more media attention and I got a, um, a book deal out of it and, uh, and and management out of it and now I get to, to tour around and, and do comedy and it's um, and it's now heading more into something I can make a living out of which is amazing. Beats selling drugs. Absolutely. And it's fun. Yeah. I I, <laughs> I say all the time how I, I am a broke comedian living with my parents and I'm happier now than I ever was as a rich drug dealer. Yeah, for sure. I get that. You know? And I think that's that whole thing with people. That's that gratitude when you talk about having that, that gratitude. I think, and you know what jail does to you? I think one thing jail does to you, it gives you a shitload of gratitude. Mm. You yeah, know, absolutely. You know, I fucking I, I live and breathe it. You know what I mean? Like mm. everything I've got. You know, these people are whinging about the fucking mortgage rates. I'm saying, well, fucking try getting parole. Yep. You know, sort of 
sort of that sort of stuff, man. And yeah, I, I realized when I was locked up, like because I felt like I'd lost everything. I lost my fiance, my dogs, my home, my business. And I realized, well, hold on, you still got your health. A lot of guys don't have that. Yeah. Um, I still had my sense of humor. Mm. Um, I still had friends and family that stuck by me. I was like, all these things that I thought I needed, uh, a lot of them I didn't. And a lot of the things that I didn't even realize I had, I wasn't appreciating. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until you get or stripped back to just the basics. You're like, holy fuck, I still have so much. And, I, and a lot of this stuff I haven't been grateful for. Mm. I don't need that much to be happy. Yeah, but I, I think I think when you, I done a post about it yesterday. So you know, if you're nothing with without all this, the material stuff, you're going to be nothing with it because mm. you're still nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. That, that material, external stuff doesn't change the inter, inter, internal problem. You know, fix it. You know. So where, where what's going on, mate? You, what's the plans? Touring. Touring, yeah. So I've got a new show that I'm doing at the moment. I just got back from doing the Perth Fringe Festival. So the way comedy works in Australia is that in kind of the first half of the year, there's a whole bunch of festivals, and mm. that's where a lot of comedians make their make their money is by writing a new hour show every year, and then you go to the Perth Fringe Festival, Adelaide. Uh, there's the Melbourne Comedy Festival in April, and then um, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth Comedy Festivals, and you just tour around and, and do your shows and slowly build up an audience and at some point hopefully that, that, that audience is buying enough tickets for you to make a living. Yeah, that's what you want. Well, yeah. That's the old adage, if you love the job you do, you never work a day in your life. Right? That's how I feel. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I work seven days a week because uh, a lot of the time it doesn't, yeah, it's not feeling like when work. You say, and when you say a, a, lot, a lot of your time would be writing too, wouldn't it? Writing, um, doing podcasts, going to stand-up shows where I'm only doing maybe like 10 minutes mm. and I'm not getting paid, but mm. I'm there practicing new stuff. And mm. so that's that's the payment is me mm. finding out whether my jokes are any good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you can't go into an hour show where just shit you're like, I, I think it's funny. Who are the comedians you look at? Who are your inspiration? There's so many. Uh, I'm not sure how many of them uh, are known um, to people to the general people, but uh, like Luke, Luke Heggie is a local Sydney comedian who's amazing, Damien Power, Dan Rath, these are all guys who are on the circuit who are just like uh, incredible. Um, but uh, Carl Barron obviously wow. is just like the most iconic, yeah. I think, Aussie stand-up. Um, people give Husey uh, a lot of shit, but if you see how hard he works and how often he's at gigs doing the same as us, getting un getting no money and just testing out stuff. You're like, mm. this guy actually is a fantastic comic. Mm. Um, yeah, Husey's awesome. And there's such healing in laughter, isn't there? I think a lot of people go because there's they want to laugh, they want to feel good because a lot of people go to those shows because they're actually not feeling good, you know? Yep. The reason, one of the reasons I got into stand-up was because when things were funny in the yard at, in Park Lee, um, like I tell about this, I talk about this time that this the screws called out for a guy named David Wilson, and then a whole yard of guys are going like doing their best Tom Hanks castaway impression, yeah, yeah. going Wilson, Wilson, I'm sorry, Wilson. And I remember laughing so fucking hard that I forgot about the cameras and the guards and the fences, uh, and I, I was free just yeah. for a few minutes because I was laughing so hard. Mm. And I thought, fuck, if laughter's so good that it can make me forget that I'm locked up, um, that's pretty powerful stuff. And so if I can make people laugh and forget about their own worries for a few minutes, that that seems like a pretty worthwhile use of my time. Me and my mate came up with this word for a turd and it was a Gershberg, right? We said, yes, going to do a big Gershberg. Anyway, this truck come in <laughs> and this bloke come on and he was on muster 
and they call out Gershberg. And me and my mates just were in tears, fucking on the ground, laughing at this <laughs> fucking bloke. And he just took back and looked at Look what the fuck. The real fuck. Gershberg. He was the proper Gershberg. <laughs> he was the proper shit. But uh, it's funny how in prison, like how, like, I, I, you know, I, I used to like the Vietnamese because mm. in those Vietnamese gangs, there's always one that's got a, they're fucking funny people, Vietnamese. Mm. Uh, you know, An Do is, I think, a testament to that. Yeah. But they're funny people. And I just, I, 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 we always had crews in jail where there was always just that funny cunt. Yeah. And I guess he was the most valued person in the crew, not the most violent person, but the most valued because he was the one, as you said, mm. that took us out for that when we're laughing our guts out, when we're – and I think in jail, humour is really, really valuable. Absolutely. Yeah, mm. because it feels so foreign, right? Mm. You feel like – it felt like it's, this shouldn't be a place where I'm laughing. So the fact that I am um, is is – I'm so grateful for it, and it also feels like you just you're rebelling against something mm. almost by laughing. <laughs> and I can often remember recalling a day, like going back to the cell of the night time. Like I've th there's, there's two things. Like I'd seen a murder one day mm. um, at Goulburn, and going to cell at night, and just wiping my brow, going, "Thank fuck, I made it." Mm. But I can recall at the end of a day having a really good fucking laugh and going, "That was fucking so good." Yeah, Th that appreciation of that laughter and, and, you know, and I think laughter goes a long way to healing. And in those places, there's a lot of damaged people that need healing. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're laughing, um, you kind of remember that, that there's some good parts to life, mm. you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I find that because of the stuff I talk about on stage, I seem to be attracting a, an audience of people that do have a dark sense of humour but also I, it seems to be a lot of people involved with the criminal justice system. <laughs> I have a lot of cops, mm. prison officers, uh, lawyers and then uh, ex or current crims will mm. come to my shows, which is a great a great mix. No mm. one else seems to be like just dominating that Bridging market. Gap. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm waiting for the moment where some of them recognise each other in the mm. in, in the room like, oh, you're that fucking nigga. Yeah. No, that screws normally got the Groucho mask mask on there. It's fucking plastic mask. No one, no one will see me here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I find that these people, um, you know, a lot of people have dark senses of humour because of uh, shit that they've either, either happened to them or shit they've seen. And um, and these people need a laugh. They, they need a laugh and um, they, they, they need a, a – for a lot of them, the, the dark senses of humour of people like Anthony Jaselnik that just say fucked up shit. You're like, there's a market for that. People, mm. pe There's people that need that mm. just to rebel against whatever darkness they've seen. Tell me about the brilliance of Robin Williams. He just blew me. Like there's that certain that there's comedians just have this absolute brilliance and he had it. Man, so much energy, uh, just so funny. I mean, you hear all, all these things, not only about just how funny he was, but also just how good he was as a person. And I think that that he was a real deal, Robin. Mm. I mean, I, I loved all of his his movies um, growing up. He was just such an icon. And then it was that that hurt that hit hard when when we lost Robin because um, yeah, sometimes with these guys. Um, you Give don't know what they're they're carrying inside because so introspective too. Yeah, it was so fucking deep. He just had a really good understanding of what, but not good enough. Mm. Yeah, just such a such a showman. Um, 
But, yeah, you hear all these amazing stories that came out of the woodwork when he passed of just the things that he did behind the scenes to to support people and just to be a good human. And so, uh, you know, you can you can tell that. Well, there are a lot of comics that I come across that are just such giving people because I think if you spend most of your nights uh, up in rooms for no money trying to make people laugh, there must be something in you that's driving you to do that. Mm. Um, and I and I kind of see those people as kindred spirits because, yeah, they they believe something about laughter that I do, which is that it can um, it can really change someone's life. Looking at it that way, you just sort of took open my eyes to a lot. Then the the gift of giving, mm. you're giving someone a memory. You know, I had a good joke the other day, and they said, "What do you call a Russian with three balls?" Oh, I heard this one recently. I'll put um, it up. You must, I'll put it up on my post. <laughs> Tell me. Who would you steal your bollock off? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, love, I love little things like uh, there's things, there's little jokes I can always remember some bloke telling me, some old country bumpkin telling me this joke. He goes, and the joke is uh, the city slicker and the, um, the countryman, they're at a pub and, the, and they walk out in the country pub and the country bloke's dog's licking his balls. And he goes, I wish I could do that. And he said, he might bite you if you try. <laughs> <laughs> I always hear that joke. There's, there's jokes that you can hear a thousand times that will always make you laugh. Absolutely. I love, what's one of yours? Um, what are some of my favourite jokes? Uh, there's one which I did uh, on the internet recently which I'm still laughing about, which was, um, did you hear about the paraplegic strip club? <laughs> The place was crawling with pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And you can hear, you know what I love that you can hear that in a moment, like when you're not feeling the best, and that could be the thing that can snap you out of your mood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that recalling something that goes, because I've got a habit of doing that these days, because if I'm feeling off kilter, I want something to change that, that mood. Um, oh, there was one I heard yesterday, which was, uh, what's the difference between a genealogist and a gynecologist? Uh, <laughs> one looks up your family tree, one looks up your family bush. <laughs> <laughs> How do people get hold of you? Uh, so on my socials, Andrew Hamilton Comedy is my Instagram handle or Andrew Hamo on TikTok. Uh, that's That's about it, really. Uh, and I'm touring around. I'm, I'm doing Adelaide next week, and then I'll be in Melbourne for the Comedy Festival, Sydney for the Comedy Festival, Brisbane, and then Perth. And then we're going to add some more tour dates at the back end of the year when my book comes out. Uh, in my book comes out end of July. I noticed you're in a dark. Is that dark green, mate? It's like, no, it's like a charcoal. I think. Okay, well, I was I was thinking dark green, but anyway, I love green. Do you? I love the colour green. People yeah. just go, you wore it for so long. Yeah. It um, suits you. People, <laughs> people do <laughs> ask me. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not huge on the, on the prison kind of green colours. No. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this is oh, – hopefully it doesn't look too green on camera. No, 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 it looks great. Andrew Hamilton, thank you for being on the stick-up, brother. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Russ. 